The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Ah, yes. We have much to discuss here on Dunked On. Sunday night edition, but second of the week. If you happen to miss our discussion of Saturday and Friday's games, you can go back and listen to last night's episode. But I think the place to start, of course, is with Warriors Rockets. And we'll save the rough stuff for afterwards. You know I hate that shit. It definitely should not be anywhere close to the leading story tonight. To me, I thought there were two big stories. One was the Warriors really going for it hard right from the jump in terms of lineups minute totals really respecting this houston team knowing that they are vulnerable in this game one and then also houston this is their now fourth straight game of not very good offense and it was a 102 offensive rating for houston that would be basically below worst in the league levels for them so what was it that golden state was able to do against houston they were able to largely take away the Harden-Capella connection without really sacrificing too much else. And a lot of that is just Draymond Green's individual brilliance as a defender using feints and positioning to make those decisions harder. And also they would have help sometimes from, from different spots late enough where Harden couldn't necessarily get the pass. And they were they were really selling out to stop that. And Clint Capella only had two shots and two free throws in this game and didn't have a single offensive rebound, which is also an important story that we'll talk about. But I thought really that was the crux of the Warriors' defense was that they were those interior drives were not having the same effectiveness that they did against Utah and that Houston had really the entire season. And a big part of that is it's much easier to play the cat and mouse game when the on-ball guy is still in the play. And largely on those hardened drives, the Warriors were able to accomplish that. Even against Curry or Looney, there were not great options for Harden to attack. I thought Curry did a, a very nice job on Harden as well. I thought the Warriors did a nice job of avoiding the switch into an unfavorable matchup until very late in the clock to where Harden is basically committed at that point to going to that step-back three-pointer. And then you can really influence him left at the end of the clock there because there isn't really enough time for him to drive help to come and him to find someone else and houston of course you know they've long taken way too long to get into stuff against this warriors team in particular against the spurs a couple of years ago so that that kind of helped it as well they weren't giving up that switch early in the possession but they would give it up late it, it seemed like when harden is basically committed to having to take the three and then you can really overplay that so that was really good and then when houston got penetration because the on-ball guy was still in the play a lot of times draymond green now can faint he can get back to to clint capella the lob 
job path got disrupted by the help a lot of times i think they were also much more willing to deal with houston's support guys just taking a three every now and then to really keep harden off his rhythm and it worked 35 points for harden but it took him 35 shooting possessions to get there only six assists and four turnovers so if you're holding him to an inefficient night below double figure assists he did get to 13 of 14 from the foul line four of 16 from three and i thought they did a really a fantastic job on james harden tonight agreed and there are definitely i mean the first half was more prominent with this there were parts of this game that each team thinks should be and and will be a lot better for the warriors that was turnovers they committed eight in the first quarter 13 total in the first half and a lot of those were unforced some of them were i mean pj tucker in, in particular had some spectacular forced turnovers but the warriors had some where it was like the guy didn't see the pass or like you like kind of the equivalent of timing routes where they did that but the pass was just really far off and it's also an adjustment for both of these teams but especially for the warriors to have an opponent that is so much more aggressive in passing lanes that is longer that applies their athleticism so much more because the windows that the warriors have most of the time you have guys like curry and durant that are wonderful shooters and create more space those windows are significantly tighter against the rockets than they are against damn near everybody else the bucks the warriors run into problems against the bucks for similar reasons and against the celtics too and so that was a big problem and then at the same juncture houston in that especially in the first quarter but overall in the first half they were just missing a ton of threes on mostly really good looks and a lot of them were really good looks by guys who normally make it eric gordon was missing those shots early but i want to talk about what he did later but so each team had something in that first half where you're sitting there going oh man we we could be doing so much better if it weren't for this but since each team had one you kind of thought those would offset or close to it yeah if you look at the overall performance for the game though you know i think houston 14 out of 47 30 percent from three but harden was four out of 16 i thought the warriors did a very good job contesting we will talk more uh, about that houston people would say they did too good of a job uh, contesting uh, on some of those threes uh and yeah there were some open ones but i thought houston was forced into a lot of difficult attempts as were the warriors actually in the that first half this is a real defense now for the warriors for the first time the clippers are not a real playoff level of defense they don't have any rim protection they don't really have any sharks on the perimeter who are going to get strips the amount of spacing in that clippers series was just astronomical going into that game six whereas now against houston they did go to switching everything right away that was one of the questions we had is is capella or even nene going to be switching out on the perimeter all the time that turned out to be the case they went right back to the same strategy that worked pretty well against golden state last year and then when guys are driving especially in that first half players digging down from the perimeter especially if andre Iguodala was in the corner for example a lot of times the the cardinal rule is don't leave the strong side corner no the the rockets rule is don't leave the clay side corner (laughs) and if the andre Iguodala is going to get a corner three that's fine but his man was going to dig down if any kind of a drive came in from the wing same thing with draymond when he was outside and we saw them do a pretty good job of not guarding but i think the thing they did a little bit better than they did towards the end of the series last year was it wasn't as predictable they weren't coming off of those guys until really the drive occurred and then kd had a bunch of turnovers stuff was dribbling into trouble a lot those two guys draymond was another one as well who had some turnovers his were more of the unforced variety as they often are but yeah houston did a great job eric gordon was really good in one-on-one defense tucker was really good they also really emphasize trying to strip kd when he went up knowing that as the clippers showed if you can test him right at the top of your jump you're already beat you're not gonna force him off so it's really about doing your work down low knocking him off balance 
balance a little bit making him rush to get the ball up which he started having to do towards the end of the first half and eventually he found his rhythm in the second half but I, I thought they were awesome uh throughout most of this game Houston defensively and it's this is shaping up like it could be another total slugfest absolutely and that's why to me one of the most important moments of this game was PJ Tucker picking up his fourth foul and these and, are and not later his fifth foul and too. later his fifth foul these are not apples and oranges like these are not apples to apples comparisons because the the composition of the minutes are not the same pj tucker played 39 minutes houston's defensive rating was 96.5 in those minutes when pj tucker sat for nine minutes 135.4 and part of that time was at the end of the third quarter when it was mm-hmm. House who, who got lit up by KD. Shumpert, uh, KD is too strong uh, for him to too tall. It's really you need the guys like Tucker, like Eric Gordon, who are going to be able to push him off of his spots a little bit. And yeah, that was and Curry was out with his foul trouble as well. So normally, and Tucker was on that fourth foul. Normally, KD would be out then. And in the first half, D'Antoni matched Tucker's minutes exactly to KD. In fact, he took Tucker out immediately when seeing that KD was out of the game coming out of a timeout he was supposed to come in so that was the strategy and the foul trouble on both sides pushed them away from that I thought it was a key moment at the end of that third especially to whatever you know as, as bad a game as Harden had when he goes out of the game they just can't score and that's part of why your offense is going to look worse too or, or I'm sorry your defense is going to look worse too because you know Chris Paul having to create an ISO is just not what he's capable of doing as much even last year uh, as a comparison so the one time Paul was able to get going was at the start of the second when they went to Bogut and didn't switch everything which we had kind of talked about when they were switching everything it was just Paul out there they really struggled right and I thought one of Houston's underrated creators in this game was Eric Gordon once he once he really started driving and these teams have played so much over the last few years and there have been many times in regular season games and in the the Western Conference Finals last year where we saw that Gordon can be much more destructive as a driver he's so damn strong he can go into traffic there was one where it was like a one-on-three drive goes through and I think he got an and one on that play and I was super impressed with that he ended up with 27 10 and 19 from the field 4 13 from threes which means that he was six for six on twos three of four from the line and I I just thought he did a really nice job offensively he's kind of a complimentary guy that Houston has these high-end talents that you have to focus on and for both of these teams whether those secondary players can maximize the opportunities they have is extremely important and I thought offensively he was probably the best of those guys other than maybe Draymond in the first quarter when Draymond was just he was aggressively attacking the space Houston was giving him yeah and his lost weight and the fact that he's actually able to attack and finish around the rim which he couldn't do at the start of the year has been a big factor I don't know whether it's the this hand issue that he was saw with a wrap on or what but he really has not been looking to shoot the three-pointer since early in that Clippers series but has been finishing around the rim and his defense has been better as well uh the offensive rebounding I think was enormous and yeah Golden State was not incredible on the offensive they only had eight I think they had a couple other team rebounds finished ultimately with 26 percent offensive rebounds which is a little bit better than league average but Houston we know is one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the NBA and part of the reason why they switched away from the strategy of just switching everything early in the year was because they couldn't get a defensive rebound and especially late the Warriors I thought did a great job with their sets of putting their guys into offensive rebounding position there are a bunch of plays late where it was Amon 
Shumpert and Chris Paul trying to box out Iguodala and Draymond and so and it was just basically a two-on-two what the Warriors were doing was running that head tap set that set that they love where it's a, a double screen to get a switch and then get KD into the post and then another screen for Steph coming to the ball with Houston switching it really was more about getting KD the matchup and they set that screen in a way that Harden had to switch on a KD and then you also had the center ending up guarding one of their shooters usually Steph Curry and so now Curry and then there would be screening action involving Curry so that that center couldn't go back under the rim and be able to get the rebound or provide help on a potential KD drive either because he's stuck on stuff I mean this we talked before the series about well what are the little things that you're going to do on every possession to maybe get an advantage against the switch right like the, the Warriors started the game with that that quick slip to the rim for Draymond they didn't really get any other backdoors Houston did a great job shutting that down but that's one of the little things is okay yeah we're, maybe we're gonna ISO here but we got a great ISO score but before we're gonna ISO we're gonna make sure that your help defense matchups are kind of messed up and you can't have your best helpers close to the rim like those are the little tiny details that end up mattering in a series like this right and I also thought you know it's Houston scheme so it's not some sort of like huge tactical deficiency but yeah I mean they held the Warriors down pretty well no what I'm what I no I'm going somewhere which is the low resistance switches to get Harden onto Durant and Harden in those circumstances just doesn't have much of a chance you know he 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 has physical strength but that he doesn't have the kind of you know the kind of physical strength like PJ Tucker does where you can prevent KD from driving this isn't a post-up this isn't back to baskets it's more fluid than that it's more lateral dynamic than that and in previous iterations of these playoff series this is the fourth time these teams have played in five years a lot of the story has been about the Warriors avoiding Stephen Curry in uh, an undesirable matchup both for foul trouble purposes and you know because he wasn't very good I believe Harden is a because of Kevin Durant specifically Harden is a bigger liability in those circumstances than Steph is a lot of that is personnel but that's really important and Houston with the way that they're approaching this and I'm not criticizing it they did a really good job defensively overall in this game that might just be something that they're going to have to concede yeah it it seems like it and you know like I said I think Houston can have good defensive games against the Warriors they did tonight a lot of that of course was the turnovers the near 30 percent turnovers for the Warriors throughout much of the first half and ended it with 20 in a, a lower possession game that gave Houston some attack advantage specifically at the end of the second quarter was when Houston really was able to get a lot of steals and run outs get back into contact as they were down a about 10 for a lot of that second quarter i don't think the warriors are going to turn it over that many times next game i do think golden state is going to be better offensively next game and houston probably will too i mean it, to, for them to be below a point per possession is is tough but I mean, if you really look at the shots that houston was getting i'm looking at their shot chart right now yeah they took 47 threes out of their 70 four field goal attempts i think at one point at the end of the first 27 of their 40 attempts were three-pointers but 41 out of those 47 oh actually so i think some of these were heaves so that's what that's why i'm uh this sheet only has 45 on it i think there are a couple of backcourt heaves here um as i'm just looking at the half court shot chart but so of their half court threes 41 of the 45 are above the break so you're not getting the open corner looks tucker had a couple he was a 0 for 4 0 for 3 from three 
and then you're only getting 12 shots at the rim for this team I mean that is really tough they took 11 shots from floater range which they really do and made six of them and then two of four uh, for mid-range and then the free throw line they didn't really win that uh, 24 free throws to 21 for the Warriors and KD and Harden were pretty even as the big scores in, in terms of their foul drawing so I do think that while Houston played a really nice game and they held Golden State to only 22 three-point attempts this was the game to me that they had to win with Steph and Clay limited I thought uh, Steph only really had one drive to the basket you remember he was driving to the basket a lot against them by the end of that series a year ago uh, Clay Thompson looked pretty limited to me he still spaces the floor which is really important for this team but you know he was not a major part of the offense he wasn't looking to put the ball on the floor at all with that ankle injury so this was the one I think that they they needed to get and maybe I'll end up being wrong but I, I think that Golden State is going to come out and play a lot better and that the ways in which they struggled are a little bit less sustainable than the ways that in which Houston struggled especially because we've seen Houston struggling offensively now for this the fourth game in a row something I thought was striking in this one this is a cleaning the glass that but I think it's amazing a full 90 percent of Houston's possessions were in the half court they barely ran at all in this and despite you know we talked about how many turnovers the Warriors had the, some of those were dead ball you know they weren't they weren't steals but Houston isn't you know if they have a run out if they have an opportunity they'll go for it to be sure but as long as the Warriors get back then then you're relying on half court offense and if it's Houston's half court offense versus a reasonable even if it's lower than they usually have number of Warriors transition looks and the Warriors half court offense the Warriors have a material advantage there because they're getting a little bit more of a boost there from in transition and Houston's half court offense you know they they were I think they were second in the league this year in half court offense the Warriors were first but that's, you know, the, generally speaking, half-court offense is less efficient than transition. And the Rockets just aren't situated to attack that specific weakness. And sometimes the Warriors just had terrible transition D. It was true in the Clippers series as well. And Houston can attack that. They're just not really wired that way. We also said that James Harden would have to hit the step-back three-pointer in this game. And he was 24% from three last year against the Warriors. Right on average, four out of 16, 25%. Now, of course, there was much controversy about the Russ. I think we can turn to that now, at least to some degree. You, you can get plenty of your other ref coverage uh, elsewhere but the Rockets supposedly Mike D'Antoni was told that they missed four three-shot fouls in the first half and it's really difficult because there is this rule especially after Zaza Pachulia that you're really supposed to protect the landing zone and we absolutely don't want guys I mean doing what Bruce Bowen was doing back 15 years ago where he's intentionally jumping under guys and certainly what Zaza did on Kawhi was not okay either you know where he really he lands and then takes takes the extra shuffle and Kawhi just jumps straight up and down and lands on the guy's foot sprains his ankle and misses the rest of the series like protecting shooters is important on the other hand there is a boy who cried wolf aspect to this with Harden especially because with his shot form he's landing with his feet you know a good two three feet in front of where he's taking off even when he's stepping back and I'd be interested to go back and and look at film of him from a few years ago and see whether he has always shot that way and, and whether it's actually an intentional thing to land forward and try to draw more of these fouls with the landing zone but basically what is created at this point is on a lot of these plays just a shot that's absolutely impossible to contest if he's going to jump forward that well or, or that far 
Is that what we want? It's a shot that's impossible to contest. And when you really land on him, when his feet really land on yours and there's an injury risk, you're supposed to call the foul. But Harden also, every time he's even remotely contested, he falls down. Or like on that last one, we'll talk a little bit more about the very end of the game in a second. But on that last one with Draymond, he clearly kicks his legs forward into Draymond trying to draw the contact. And that three's not even close. You're down three. If you're not worried about trying to kick your legs forward unnaturally, maybe you actually come closer than just grazing the front of the rim barely uh, on a shot where you should be on balance he created pretty decent separation on that play that's a shot that he's supposed to be able to make uh, this year so i don't know what you do it's also worth noting that and i didn't really see great replays from where we were sitting of some of those plays that people really were upset about with clay in the first half contesting him but there also were three plays in the second half that the rockets got that were very very questionable fouls as well like harden driving grabbing the arm of looney and going up the one where Iguodala just has his hands out and gets called for a foul stuff with the reach on still a very dumb move obviously uh, on Paul but uh, you know Chris Paul doing the rip through from 40 feet away from the basket I mean there there are plenty of calls that were questionable that went in Houston's favor as well and I can't tell you that no exactly the same number of calls and the exact points per possession that they gained from these calls that weren't made and these ones that were you know that that evens out perfectly I can't tell you that but you have to if you're going to discuss this rationally look at all of the calls throughout the entire game and i guarantee you not a single person who is discussing this is doing that and nor could they really because you you need to have the league office archives of every single camera angle you know maybe someone who worked for espn could spend five hours and look at the the game and tell me you know whether it's each and every call and non-call in this game was good or bad but to just fixate on three or four calls that's just to say that like it's biased against you or it's rigged or houston got screwed over like that might be true it might not be but those three calls in the second quarter of the game uh, i'm you're not convincing me just by showing me video of three calls from my vantage point there were a few of them that i i thought that wouldn't and i'll, I'll frame it this way that i i thought would normally be called that were not called the way that it had been officiated this year didn't have the benefit of additional camera angles all, all of those sorts of caveats do apply and those calls if we're talking about that narrow field i thought they did disproportionately affect the rockets and I, one thing i want to push back on i heard some chatter after the game talking about it being a bad look and all these things and i agree with that considering how good a series this is that it will be challenging to officiate and then the officiating challenges will be discussed like whatever they end up doing with this that will be a point of discussion that's unfortunate however just as was the case with some of the in that unwatchable rockets thunder series a couple years ago with all of the shooting fouls and all of the the lou williams and james harden nonsense quote unquote shooting fouls. yeah the the, the one that basically made them change the rule which and that's exactly where i'm going so much credit for right like what i think that the legacy of this series might end up being having the nba just figure out what the hell they want these call to be because what the rockets have done over over the years and other teams do this too but they have pushed the envelope they said okay if this is the call how can we maximize our benefit from the way it is officiated and not landing cleanly a lot of refs can lie especially if you're getting into position use that as a shorthand oh look he landed awkwardly so if it looks like you're landing awkwardly all the time then the default position is that you deserve a call all those sorts of things and i'm not saying that's dirty or cheap or anything like that it's just that's playing the game it's just like a lot of the other stuff with Harden like if you grab the guy's arm the ref's probably not going to see that and 
I don't know exactly what the end game is here. I don't know what the the perfect solution is to this, but I am optimistic that having it be the focal point of such a high profile, such an excellently played series will lead to the the few people who actually can influence this saying we need to figure something better out. Yeah, and then there'll be some new thing. I mean, we talked about the off-arm being another thing that I think is an issue. Uh, Mark Cuban was tweeting during the game about how when defenders are just jogging it in a straight line and guys veer into their path, how they get called for the foul and how that shouldn't be the case anymore. I've been on that train too since Chris Paul nearly killed Anthony Davis when he was jogging down the floor and he veered into his path a a couple of years ago. Um, Back to actual basketball though. Although I, I guess the other thing you could recall too is there are these two really late calls that went in favor of the Rockets as well, which hey, those were the right call. You know, they should they were they were the correct calls. I don't know yeah. why they were so late, but they were correct. Sometimes as a referee, you just have to play it over again yeah. in your mind, or, or you know, as you cynically might say, they're waiting to see whether the guy misses it or not. I mean, some sometimes though, as a referee, you might say, you might be like, "Wow, that shot was really short," and then you play it over again in your mind. You're like, "Yeah, okay, that was actually a foul." You know, so again, if it, if they got the call right, I'm not complaining uh, about a late call, but you know, that's another one where hey, it actually did go in favor of Houston on that one. The end of the game, we should probably talk about it a little bit. I mentioned that set that the Warriors were running. Uh, the Warriors had better late game offense other than when they managed to turn it over and give houston a chance at a tying three which is the only chance that uh that they had and harden got a pretty decent look at a three to tie it Uh, but anything else that stood out about the end game to you there stephen curry played basically the whole end with five fouls and some players with five fouls try like the dickens to avoid their sixth foul some guys do not and stephen curry was in the second camp there were a series of them including some reaches on eric gordon there was i thought he bumped harden on the play where they called harden as out of bounds that could that could have been steph's sixth foul well, and, as well and, and actually before that too i mean that was that was a great defensive possession um was that the one where they were just like denying everyone and harden just got caught picked up his dribble at half court or was that a different one i think that was a different possession but i'm not 100 okay. sure oh yeah no no i remember the one you're talking about but yeah on the, on the one where they denied everyone uh oh that was clay who P- denied he's him, holding pj tucker as well on that play but you know i thought the warriors did did pretty well on some of these possessions to take houston out of their comfort zone at the end of the game uh um, but yeah, I mean, there, there were, I think I only saw one that I was like, yes, that was a clear foul, which is when he was holding Tucker and that's, you know, probably not going to get called off the ball in that situation. But I agree with you. I mean, he, he definitely took uh, quite a few risks. Um, what did you think of that three that Curry hit uh, on Nene and, and them getting put into that situation? Well, I, I was sitting there. So we, you and I weren't, weren't next to each other for this game. And as soon as D'Antoni subbed in Nene, I was sitting there and said, it seems to me like D'Antoni is betting that Kerr is going to take a timeout here. And I didn't think Kerr was going to call one. Oh, so you thought he put him in just to try and get the offensive rebound? I, I thought he, I thought, I didn't think it was just for that, but I thought that was the main purpose. Like that, he was fine to have him in both, but that like the, the primary, it was more like he's in for the rebound, but it's okay if he's there on defense. That was the way I saw it. And D'Antoni's postgame comments were more along those lines than I maybe kind of expected, but he was comfortable, but the, the, you have to be comfortable in both spots. You have to be comfortable with or without a timeout there. And he was, D'Antoni was, and Curry, that was the matchup he wanted. I 
I thought Nene did a pretty good job contesting it, and Curry just made it. I mean, and, and it was yeah. not. He, he got pretty good separation, though. I think, like, like Steph, it, it was one of those plays to me, and this is something that Dame talked about on CJ McCollum's podcast about his game winner, where it might look like it's a decent contest, but if the guy knows, okay, if I make this move, I know for sure I'm going to be able to get this off, and you can kind of mentally prepare for the shot that you're about to take, and you can really zero in on the rim and not worry about getting it blocked. Like, I thought he got enough separation to be able to do that. You know, I mean, he knew one hard crossover, he was going to be able to get that shot off. Yeah, that, that's a reasonable way of thinking about it. And I, I'm sure those guys, because their skill levels obviously so much higher than mine is that they and they've <laughs> rep and they've repped that so many times that that it is a version of muscle memory and they know they know what angle they need they know where it's going to be and you know that's kind of how kevin durant shoots most of his shots because he's so right. damn tall yeah and that's why the rockets being able to get that hand in or at least make him think about maybe getting stripped down low i, I think messed with them early on but I, like to me i thought the idea was they just the warriors had just gotten two offensive rebounds in a row so he brings the nay in but then you have the problem of well the the play that they've been running over and over again puts Nene in the action and 25 feet from the rim. So he's not putting him in, doesn't really help your rebounding. And actually, what they tried oh, wait, to should do. Should I clarify? I meant yeah. the rebounding on the free throw, which I believe was. Oh, yeah, no, no, I know. But I, okay. I, think, I just want to make sure. I think his, what he was thinking was, we are we can't get a rebound. I got to put a bigger guy in. You know, I think that's what it seemed like was part of the motivation for uh, on the defensive front. Uh, I, did, I knew that's not what you were saying. Um, but so, but that wasn't going to help. And the the Rockets like tried Chris Paul like tried to switch the matchups around for them the way the Warriors would will often do it to get it so Nene was out of it but they couldn't do that in time and so that's why they ended up with that Curry three which ended up being obviously the, the key shot of the game well uh, yeah. let, let me talk a little bit this is one of my familiar chestnuts about right after that so Harden Harden gets the drive and and that and gets the gets the finish so now the Rockets are down three Warriors have the ball with 21 so you know the next thing that's going to happen is either a foul or trap or both and yes the Warriors had two timeouts and I and so I'm much more supportive of using a timeout to advance the ball in that specific circumstance but I still believe and will always believe that one of your best opportunities to get the ball in the hands of the guy you want shooting free throws is on that jumbled situation right after a score yeah and by not doing that Houston got to get their act together they got the guys on the floor that they wanted they got you know so PJ Tucker was actually off the floor because they didn't want him to get that last foul and they could figure out what they wanted to do and the Warriors you know they didn't really have much on the inbound got it to Kevin Durant Durant the trap came and I don't know if he was I didn't hear him post game to see whether he whether he talked about you know like that they had another timeout left because he could have just called it I mean they, he, he got that was a good trap on him but yeah the, the Rockets did it quickly enough to, to force an action and if it hadn't worked they could have easily fouled or something else and so Houston that's how they got that huge potential look at a game tying three or theoretically an in one if it had gone differently Austin Rivers couldn't play in this game I don't think that killed them too much uh, he does provide a little bit more playmaking off the bounce when things break down which perhaps they could use i mean he's not an efficient shot creator but he, he can create some uh and jumper took like a step back three that his teammates weren't very happy at, at him for taking he is not renowned for his offensive decision making oh wait can i, I talk about that shot yeah, that yeah. shot was i think that shot was really important not because of the one that that jumper took but because of why it happened and so what happened there was harden gave up the ball to jumper because you know he had a little bit of heat on him and then clay thompson about 30 30 to 35 feet from the basket 
basket, just stood between Amon Shumpert and James Harden, and Harden basically didn't move. And so yeah. then Shumpert's sitting there, and he's like, well, shit, what am I going to do now? And then I think it was like seven seconds on the shot clock, so he tried to do a little bit of a dribble move, nothing came from it, and then he did that pull-up three. And so it is this strange coincidence that all three of the Thunder big prospects back in the day, all three of them can get ball denied better than most players of their skill level. But I think that's something that the Rockets did a better job of with Durant. I thought PJ Tucker in particular did a very good job. And the few times the Warriors tried it when Harden gave up the ball, it worked really well. Yeah, I thought at times it could have been even more aggressive doing that. But Shumpert, who was not in the rotation generally, uh, they gave up a first round pick to get him and more so to get off of uh, Knight's salary and Chris's salary for this year. He did play 21 minutes. Gerald Green only played seven. He had another one of their blown switches and Green was negative 16. Part of that was that he was playing a lot of his minutes with that Chris Paul only group uh, that got worked pretty badly in this one. I thought Daniel House did not have a good defensive game at all another one of these guys who all right hey you look at him he's really athletic he's long should be able to hold up in an iso did not you know i mean he just doesn't have the experience level to deal with someone like kd to be sure and i think steph blew by him for a layup at one point also so he's a little bit of a weak link he played 21 minutes but uh, and was one of four on 3d he wasn't able to get his closeout drive game going really either i thought nene other than what we talked about was really good he loves to pressure up on Banks. He had three steals. He was a big part of forcing those turnovers. And Houston, I mean, the Warriors had 20 turnovers. 14 of those were steals. I mean, that they really, you know, could have probably run even more. I thought the Warriors did well to get back when they did. And uh, Houston had 20 points off turnovers, but considering it was 14 steals, that could well, have been And not only worse. that, they had 20 points off turnovers. Houston had 13 credited fast break points and 14 steals. Yeah. Um, I thought Harden did get look pretty tired by the end. One thing, though, especially if this is going to be in a game like this, where both teams are kind of struggling to score he had one play where he actually drove to the basket and then was able to pull up for a two-point jumper just on balance not a floater with the step back he did that push off with the forearm but that's not gonna be called a foul so you should take advantage of it i think he should go to that shot more especially when the step back three isn't falling yeah you know what if the warriors are putting up a buck 20 every game maybe that's not a great shot for you but if this is one of these series where in certain games it was like this last year too where you just need to get a bucket you need to get something especially at the end of the clock, the Warriors knowing that he's not going to take that shot, it makes it a little easier to defend. And especially against Curry, you know, he could just get to his spot and rise up over him, step back a little bit, be totally unbalanced anytime and make that shot. So that's what I think they should consider doing a little bit more just specifically against this team when it's just much tougher to get penetration. And you're also, maybe you're not going to tie yourself out as much there as, as if you really drive hard to the basket and go for the floater. We also saw both coaches use deeper rotations than I had expected for this series now Kerr going with Iguodal in the starting lineup shifted things around a little bit but each team really played nine guys in the competitive portion Bogut was out of the rotation in the second half but McKinney played nine minutes Looney I thought did well in his minutes and Livingston his role on this kind of second unit is a little bit weird because especially now that Durant is largely playing in those minutes you don't need him as a creator and then he kind of gums up the spacing but they don't have other shooters so you might as well have a capable defender other than that crazy foul he committed on Harden and then for D'Antoni House 21 minutes Nene 14 Shump 21 Gerald Green 7 and while they would love to have PJ Tucker play more so that the I mean he played 39 minutes but you'd, you'd love to see some of the guys just 
minimized a little bit. I, I I think the Warriors have more of a gain there than the Rockets do, partially because I think their starters are have have just a huge degree of quality difference than their reserves. Yeah, I mean, forty three minutes uh, for KD uh, and thirty five points for him. He did have the turnovers. It was a big time struggle for him in the first half. But it, it seems like this is the new normal for KD. These the last it, Kerr went over forty minutes in that game five. Over was on pace for over forty minutes in game six, and and this is a, a thin team, especially against this Rockets team when there's just only so many guys who can play uh you know Alfonso McKinney another guy who the Rockets didn't hunt him as much as I was expecting he did commit a three-shot foul on Harden at one point though his rebounding is important we could see that end end up being something that gets the Warriors a few extra possessions but I think with McKinney probably want to try and get him his minutes when Harden is out of the game they largely did that uh Iguodala 34 minutes was a huge number for him he was even in that closeout game against the Clippers he was only on on 27 so I'm interested to see whether the Warriors can hold up here we do have that huge break Tuesday to Saturday and maybe that's kind of what they're relying on and maybe we'll see Kerr keep the minutes totals down a little bit starting in game three where they're basically going to be going back to back every game and you've got flights going to be going back and forth from Houston to Oakland any adjustments that pop out to you other than the the player usage stuff that we talked about a little bit already in uh, game two not particularly Kerr using Looney as the Chris Paul second unit center I think that was an important adjustment and you are not worried about Looney playing too many minutes in this series and if he's a superior option to Bogut he should be on the floor all the damn time yeah he played 60 minutes there's no reason even to play Bogut the five minutes in the first half and especially not when you let Chris Paul run a conventional pick and roll against you that way. um I agree with you there I think he should play more but no other than that I mean th- this really did fit the status quo of last year's series with these two teams and that puts so much pressure on Houston to win game two because if this goes back to Houston and they have to win four out of five games and then against you know let's say the Warriors look healthy or healthy-ish at that point that's a tough ask for anybody as great as the Rockets are and they're they're a damn good team so I think game two it's not must win but it's as close as you can get in a 1-0 series yeah I mean it's like 95 percent win expectancy when you win the first two games of series at home so yeah I mean they, they got to win this one and I still think again that, that this one was kind of their chance it was feeling for a while very similar to last year's game four where the Warriors were just struggling to score after the third quarter and then they had that run at the end of the third then start of the fourth they couldn't score again Houston got back I think they tied it at 89 at one point but Houston just couldn't get over the hump they actually got out executed by the Warriors down the stretch where you thought maybe Houston could have the advantage because they have Harden who, who can create and the Warriors have, have not been that great in the clutch in the last couple of playoffs where they've just haven't quite known where they're going they're turnover prone things can get a, a little sloppy but Kerr to his credit kind of tamped that down and said hey we're just going to run this same play and go to KD every single time against Harden which I think he waited to do until the end of the game and uh so that was pretty good I mean the other thing we got to talk about too if Chris Paul and Mike D'Antoni don't get technical fouls in this game although Draymond had one himself too but if they don't get technical fouls maybe it's a different game maybe the Rockets win it or they go into overtime and as quote-unquote bad as the refereeing was from their perspective was it was it worth it to get more calls and cost your team two points later in the game I mean D'Antoni talked 
talked about that he took responsibility for it but uh, that's not great it, it, when, it, when the game is this close you just like the way technical falls work in the nba it's only one point like there's no change of possession you kind of just forget that it happens it's just oh we got teed up let's all cheer and, and people like the, the actual point that you get from the technical almost seems ancillary a lot of times but hey you know that matters a lot in a game like this um a couple other things that i can note i think i might actually try to have clay more in the strong side corner and force houston to bring a guy over from the weak side corner if it's if it's iguodala and then you can either throw him that pass and it and he'll have all day to shoot it or then you can at least force a closeout swing or swing it around get a little bit more there uh more screens to get tucker off of kd i don't like that matchup for kd and facing up at the top of the key against harden or against capella seems like the best matchup or then in the post for him against house or against shepherd and generally you're going to have some of those guys on the floor and when it breaks down i mean there, there are a few possessions where like kd was just running around trying to get the ball and tucker was denying him and like go set the guy a screen at the end of the shot clock so you know they're going to switch it he can get the ball and go against someone who's a, a little bit easier of a matchup for him i don't know this again is not something that houston has done but i think harden actually in the post against steph curry could be really useful put him a, a, on that left block you know if he if he gets the switch I wouldn't mind seeing him just back to goal, but just start backing down. Now, they've done a pretty good job of not switching stuff onto him until it's late enough clock that that's not a viable strategy. But Houston also just needs to tighten up more with some pick and pops. They did get a nice Shumpert pick and pop. I think that's how he hit his only three. But if the Warriors are going to not switch with Steph, his man has got to set the screen or slip it and then clear out, get separation so that that's a nice long pass and a long closeout. You know, maybe if it's House doing that, he can then attack off the dribble on those plays as well so just better execution in their screaming screening early in the shot clock particularly to get the shot the matchups that they want for houston i think is important uh but you know they're not really an execution team they're not they don't kind of do things tight with you know set great screens and just you know great tolerances here and little tiny things over the course of a possession that are going to add up it's james go save us and so their destiny is going to rise or fall harden is probably going to have a couple of great games in the series but he's now 0 for 1 and he needs to have four great games out of six most likely for them to win the series all right we got more to get to from today we went uh quite long on that one holy shit <laughs> but but this game one uh, w- was so fascinating uh, and it always is uh, when these teams get together but first uh, i gotta tell you about indochino a suit that will fit you as well as a certain warrior shooting guard would fit on basically any contender because they make suits and shirts to your exact measure measurements for unparalleled fit and comfort they're the official outfitter indochino of my wedding and you can get basically any fabric any color that you want they have over a hundred possibilities you can personalize your lapel the lining the pockets the buttons you can visit a stylist at one of their now 40 showrooms in north america that is a ton or you can measure yourself at home and shop online at indochino.com submit your measurements your design choices and relax while your suit gets professionally tailored this week my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379 Indochino.com when entering that familiar cap space code at checkout. Easy remember cap space. We'll be talking about that a lot over these next two, three months here. 
That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Shipping is free. That's Indochino.com. Promo code CAPSPACE for just $379 free shipping for your custom-made suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Well, this Boston-Milwaukee game, basically everything happened that we thought it would, that we thought would need to happen for Boston to be successful in the series. Right. And, I mean, some of that was the the make-or-miss league stuff, to be sure but I also thought, broadly speaking, Boston did a wonderful job defensively on Giannis and 7-21 from the field, only two assists and two turnovers. Horford in particular did well. Aaron Baines, a little bit less so, and he ended up turning his ankle, though it doesn't look like that's as severe, which is great to hear. But then, I mean, you get into the the shooting here. Boston was 15 of 27 for mid-range, 6 of 10 from floater range. That means they were a combined 21 of 37 on two-pointers away from the basket. And then and then they were 13 and 19 in the restricted area too. Yeah, Boston probably not going to shoot that crazy percentage from mid-range again. But other than that, I mean, the make or miss league does not apply to the Bucks' performance to me. They shot 36% from two, and I thought they really earned that 36%. I mean, they were 13 out of 39 from three in this game. I and mean, Giannis shot three out of four or three out of five from downtown so and i thought they took a lot of very difficult three-point attempts early in the game as well some of those ones that Miritich made when they got back into contact in that second quarter were ridiculous but they just weren't getting good shots overall I mean Giannis got a few open dunks but Horford was just stopping him and yeah there was a lot of contact on some of those drives and certainly that'll be on the Bucks tape to the league with guys putting the forearm on him ESPN did a nice job of highlighting that of how much uh, the forearm was on those drives on Giannis and you know Giannis is a very difficult player to referee much like Harden where he's just going to overpower guys he'll use his off arm a a lot a ton as well but i thought that boston was getting away with contact on some of those drives with the forearm but Giannis has to do a better job of accentuating that sadly you know he actually tries to power through that contact and al horford aaron baines were strong enough that they're able to avoid that and just force him into really difficult shots around the room i mean these the shots that he was taking it wasn't like oh man that's just how did he miss that you're like no that was actually uh he's off balance there he's well contested like that is a a difficult shot i mean horford was just unbelievable that sequence he had where he stopped him and then just threw his dunk attempt into the ground was just ridiculous so that was a big part of it i mean the the bucks we've wondered for a long time okay they kind of have one way that they play right it's Giannis he's gonna attack you double him get it to the shooters but you're gonna have to double him because he's just too big and he's gonna overpower everyone and then everyone else is gonna hit threes and they're really good at playing that one way same way on defense as we'll talk about so what happens when they stop that what is their second gear and they did not have a second gear in this game not particularly and I'm interested to see if one of the inflection points to try to create one would be personnel and for me particularly Nikola Mirotic just the added dimension of another aggressive shooter Malcolm Brogdon ideally would be that guy but we I don't know what his situation is at this juncture and Boston will would hopefully be getting Marcus Smart back it seems like Brogdon is closer to return than Marcus Smart is but I thought Mirotic really did his aggressiveness shooting and Boston is playing a a pretty tall kind of like 
I mean, granted, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have more skill with the ball in their hands, and that could create some matchup problems for Mirotic. But I do think that using him in some of those lineups, maybe even starting him, could create some opportunities for Giannis and just overall for the offense. Yeah, and I thought they defended fine in this game, and they do need his deep shooting, in particular for this reason, because, and a lot of, by the way, what Mirotic did, his damage was when Giannis was out of the game. Malika had this stat, Malika Andrews at ESPN, that in the first half the Bucks shot 62 percent when Giannis was off the floor and 26 percent when he was on the floor and KP was making the point that Giannis needs to pass more on some of those plays around the rim that there's too many guys around him some of those are occurring though when he's already really committed to going into his shot I mean it's hard for him sometimes he just has to make his move and just like trust that he's going to be able to overpower the guy because when you make that euro step you're kind of committed it's hard to make the pass after you've already made the euro step and now they're on you uh but I agree could make some more passes but when he did the Celtics closeouts were awesome and I thought they really did a nice job of running guys like Connaughton or Sterling Brown off the line Eric Bledsoe did absolutely nothing in this game to only take one two-point shot for him it is not good you know Brown and Connaughton were forced to drive it and take some pretty tough shots as well but it really again it all comes down to yes and there there are some other things that I think the Bucks can do when we start talking about adjustments here but what did you see when the Celtics had the ball. I wondered how Kyrie Irving would fare with Eric Bledsoe last year. Kyrie wasn't available for that series, and so Bledsoe was actually doing more of his work against Terry Rozier. Irving had it, you know, he, he played well, but it, it, it didn't seem to me like Bledsoe's combination of athleticism and length affected him as much as I thought it, it yeah. could. I didn't expect that to happen, but, you know, you, you're always kind of wondering with, with, with the way it could work out. I mean, I, Bledsoe only played 25 minutes, too. I mean, we saw a lot of George Hill uh, mm-hmm. as the guy on Irving. Yeah, so and and Tatum was was subdued in this one. I mean, they had other they had other things they were attacking, and I mean, everyone was hitting for mid range and floater range. So you did, it, they didn't need to go to the like Jason Tatum fix it stuff uh, as often. And I thought Jalen Brown and, and Gordon Hayward looked better with the ball in their hands. Hayward was getting getting to his spots more. I thought the Bucks' length might affect him, but he played with pace. And I think also Hayward benefited from playing in some of the backup backup e lineups for them. Like when Irsan Ilyasova was on the floor, he's not not really as intimidating a presence on the interior as the Buck starters. Yeah, they got a, a nice game from Jalen Prom. Chris Middleton had some really tough looks in this game, which he was able to hit to some degree, but the Celtics avoided getting totally burned by him the way they did in last year's series. Terry Rozier gave them some key three-pointers as well through the, the first three periods which is really the competitive portion of the game and then Horford is able to get whatever he wanted in pick and pop and we knew that that would be the case Horford only took four threes during the competitive portion of the game but had plenty of long twos and that was a shot that he was hitting around 50 percent during his his Atlanta days and he's largely now eschewed that getting out to shooting more threes but it was very clear that the Celtics were going for that specific shot pick and pop to Horford and with the Bucks laying back that shot is going to be available and so you know the Celtics first half they had 52 points and, and it was basically a point per possession and I thought the Bucks defense it was good enough it, it got away from them in that third quarter when they gave up 36 points to be sure and Boston started shooting and hitting some more threes Boston only shot or had five made free throws in the whole game which 
someone had this stat that, that is the fewest free throws by a team that won a playoff game by 15 or more points basically ever uh but again the bucks don't foul but the celtics aren't reliant on getting to the following the bucks are a great defensive rebounding team but the celtics don't rely on offensive rebounds they rely on making jump shots and the bucks are giving those up and so the celtics have very capable jump shooters when it's al horford and kyrie irving are the guys shooting these shots like those are like 50 percent mid-range shooters like you you can't just say oh it's like and yeah it's an outlier for them to shoot over 50 percent as a team from there but when you're talking about Kyrie or Al Horford like those are good shots for them like the, especially in a half court set shooting 50 percent on a shot in the half court is like a very solid offense but the bigger problem of course is just Milwaukee not being able to score on their end what do you see as possible adjustments going forward here for the Buck and Celtics maybe for that matter as well Sterling Brown I thought in particular was he was too comfortable taking bad shots and the value that he you know I understand why you want to go with a guard there and I mean not having Brogdon means that Brown and Connaughton under that traditional conception of positions that those guys are just going to need to step up and play more I didn't particularly like either of their games so I would go you know yeah maybe it's going a little bigger and a little bit more rigid to use Miritich more you can't really play George Hill more than 24 minutes but I'd love to see Bledsoe even though it's not like he was awesome in this game just I think he's a better player yeah well I mean you're, you're not gonna win this series without getting more from blood right and then maybe you try out tony snell i mean i think you already have a pretty clear idea that brown and Connaughton aren't going to work super well so you try somebody else and then i, I would say you try going bigger with miritich I, I like him a lot better in that role than Ilya silva and those would be those would be my primary adjustments we also i think i think milwaukee was able to get Giannis some better looks in the second half but that i don't think that was still quite enough either the rotation certainly is something that i think bud needs to look at you mentioned miritich he needs he needs to play over 30 minutes they might consider going with dj wilson to see if it was some more athleticism i'm still skeptical that it's going to work for wilson because i just i'm not sure that he's tough enough and mentally tough enough to execute in addition to just being a guy that you can sort of go right through because he's not very physical but you might get, give him a shot get some more athleticism on the floor certainly there's a, a thought that you might do more switching now Kyrie irving would probably enjoy trying to go up against some of these guys one-on-one but we didn't even see Kyrie try to shoot the three-pointer off the pick and roll very much you know it was only two out of five on threes that's something that uh, he still has in his back pocket against the conventional pick and roll coverage uh Brooke Lopez again needs to, some of the minute tolls are off because it was a blowout but 26 minutes here Ilyasova 19 minutes I just don't see what he brings he was 05 from three and the big thing that Ilyasova does is he helps a lot he takes away the rim he takes charges that's not what Boston's trying to do anyway so again it's one of these like you know a hammer without a nail type of things which is uh, what we're seeing a lot so far from this Bucks team so uh, whether it's Wilson to maybe get more in transition and run or do more switching Miritich any of those guys could take uh, Ilyasova's minutes thought George Hill was good you know maybe some more two guard lineups with him and Bledsoe would be something to consider um they went with Horford they started Horford rather than Baines that was that was a big adjustment and Brooke Lopez is being guarded by a much smaller guy the entire game they did he I think Brooke had one post up where he got I thought a decent look that that rimmed out that's something they should look for more I think especially to get him the ball just right at the charge circle uh, get a chance there 
now the theory is well then where does Giannis stand on those plays but if uh Giannis is out of the game or maybe you're in transition or I mean Giannis shot three out of five from three so maybe you get him an open look there if you have to kick it out Lopez is not a great passer but I still think that's you know we're talking about three or four times a game to have maybe you don't call it but you tell Brooke hey you know if you've got this try and get into the post especially in a transition situation maybe like right after you challenge a three-pointer or something like that sprint down there and try try and get good position we didn't see a ton of Giannis and Miritich together that's another look they could go to try and just go to an all switching group maybe that's not Miritich maybe that's TJ Wilson out there as well again I don't think he's a panacea but potentially someone to try and really force this Boston group to ISO and if you're going to take a long two at least we're going to make it contested one-on-one instead of Kyrie Irving pick and roll Al Horford pick and pop right there in the mid-range open or you know pick and pop for a three is, is there for Horford too he got a couple of those as well as far as getting Giannis going they did try to run some small small pick and roll type of plays that didn't work as well as I think they would have hoped Giannis has just got to look to pass the ball a little bit more once the defense commits but maybe you can try to get him the ball posting up put his back to goal a little bit more I think when he gets ahead of steam going towards the rim facing up that it can be difficult for him to find the shooters he's not good at making that pass back out to the top once he attacks usually guys will start swarming him especially if they're at the three-point line behind where he's attacking from and he's not going to turn around and throw that pass back to the top so that's something they consider they could consider having him put his back to goal a little bit more or maybe get it in the post face up and see more what the defense is doing because i don't think he had a great awareness of where the help was coming from his game uh less Connaughton yeah i think would help i thought he was just way too aggressive shooting the ball he's not really a plus defender um well especially against the team this big like you can't you can't really effort your way to succeeding against brown and tatum and morris in particular yeah and certainly i mean there's much focus on Giannis, and yeah 22 points on 26 shooting possessions and only two assists i mean that's when you consider how much they're collapsing on him I mean, that's a terrible number for him but when lopez bledsoe brown and Connaughton, none of those players had more than two field goals it's hard to put it all on Giannis either now granted it's his job to set those guys up for looks but you know I, I wouldn't mind seeing also some more pick and roll with Eric Bledsoe they don't run much pick and roll that's part of part of what the Bucks do but try to have him run pick and roll with Giannis and get downhill at the rim Horford is going to be loath to leave Giannis and even just do that at the top they've got plenty of spacing to run that play and then maybe at the least you can force a little bit of a closeout on Giannis let him attack more without the defense just being set and everyone loaded to him as he tries to attack off the dribble and you got boxes and elbows help against Giannis Um, anything else you want to say on this one yeah yeah from Boston's perspective and this might be dictated depending on what happened what Bain's ankle feels like on Monday but I would like to see more Ojolay if Horford is not on the floor and yeah. Giannis is and and fewer Tice yes fewer Tice <laughs> um yeah because that's someone that they can really go right through and I think that if he has to play more that will be exploited but Bain said he could come back in he just was not asked to because I think they had by that point so the much. game was out of control yeah or in um, control from their perspective but yeah must win I mean I think the Bucks are going to come back and have a big game 
game with their backs against the wall i mean we've seen teams lose what the math is on teams losing game one at home the way they come out in game two and feldman had this stat which was crazy in the last decade four teams before this one have won game one by over 15 points on the road all four of those have lost the series the clippers did it twice 2014 2015 houston against san antonio 2017 and then indiana last year against cleveland so that's interesting so it's not over yet bucks fans but uh certainly they're going to need to start playing better and this this has been uh a very interesting start to these playoffs for the who's the best player in the world question harden Giannis trending down curry trending down kd Kawhi trending up so far but that'll be an interesting thing to monitor as we go forward here obviously with these series and playoffs not done yet it's uh, far too premature to declare a winner but it's just interesting to think about so far all right we got to talk denver portland after i tell you about everlane would you buy a t-shirt for fifty dollars if you knew it only costs seven dollars to make of course not you're not mitch Kupchak and jim bus in the summer of 2016 you're smarter than that with everlane you have the information about what you're paying for and why they tell you the real costs and they're radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories that they work with everlane's clothes look better cost less and last longer it's really just good quality simple stuff their essentials are fantastic got a bunch of their stuff for my honeymoon their seven inch inseam shorts my wife was a fan of a little shorter than i would normally go with but she seemed to like it and that's what's important these days as a married man you got great women's clothing as well great denim made at the world's cleanest denim factory that's japanese denim by the way outerwear made from recycled water bottles if that's your thing the way to get started with them everlane.com slash cap space is that url slash cap space easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program you get free shipping on your first order at everlane.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us i think this denver portland series is gonna be just a ridiculous offensive series neither team is particularly well suited to slowing down what the other does well not anything as extreme as you know denver going against the team with a dominant small forward but a good example here is paul Millsap. i really like paul Millsap. i think that he's uh, was a huge part of denver's success in the first round but there isn't as much of a place for him to be in this series depending on how and it's canter's availability and a few other things i mean portland is going to be doing their damage at other parts of the floor and Millsap not as great of a switch defender against guys like damon cj and then from portland's perspective they don't have anyone who i think can can guard Jokic, and the help defense that they have isn't really best for a guy like Jokic. you know they can minu and harkless are talented guys but that's not really the type of thing that they do best so yeah i agree with you this could be a very very up and down and very fun popcorn palate cleansing series considering all of the other slugfests we might get in the first round in the second round yeah when denver has the ball Cantor is questionable with that separated shoulder he's been pretty transparent about it in the media that they told him it was like a month-long type of injury he had to take an injection at halftime of game five they were able to close that out he has had some rest but especially for a player like him who really needs to be physical a shoulder injury can be a big issue issue and this Denver team is going to put him in space they're also going to really tire out Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum with all that handoff stuff that they like to do turning the corner and then if Gary Harris or Jamal Murray are getting downhill off of those handoffs is Cantor going to be able to help on those recover back to Jokic
Jokic, it seems pretty unlikely. And Jokic obviously has to be guarded at the three-point line as well. Cantor is going to struggle with that. Denver doesn't run a lot of straight pick and roll, but they generally have the floor reasonably well-spaced and certainly better than OKC did. Uh, Jamal Murray is able to hit that mid-ranger. Cantor is probably going to have to drop back in pick and roll. Uh, Murray is a pretty solid mid-range shooter. So I think Murray is going to have a lot of chances to eat in this series on those plays and get much cleaner looks than he was getting against the Spurs. And then, you know, I think Cantor can do okay on Jokic in the post. Although again, if he's limited physically, you wonder about that to some degree. And then if it's Zach Collins or Myers Leonard, I mean, Jokic is just going to absolutely twist those guys into pretzels or just put them in the goal in the post. Like they're going to have to double on Jokic, I think in that situation. And then they don't have anyone really who, if they go to a small lineup, you know, maybe you do that and just say, hey, we're going to double Jokic every time and force them to beat us with shooting. But I don't think Portland really has any answers. I mean, this is going to be Portland's first time going up against a real playoff offense. Like that OKC with Russell Westbrook bricking up jumpers and the pretty bad three-point shooting, that's not a real playoff offense. Paul George only had it going in a couple of the games. So they are were not stressed out in terms of having to cover a lot of ground defensively. And now that's going to be the case. I think uh, Paul Millsap also could maybe have some advantages here uh, against Harkless and Aminu. I'd be very interested to see. I'm not sure about that, actually. I think, uh, but that's going to be interesting. Millsap cooked Rudy Gay, but he's not as good of a defender as Aminu and Harkless are. But that's something that that we might see as well as him getting a few points in isolation. But then when you turn around the other direction, I think Denver is very poorly suited to stopping Portland as well. Yeah, I mean, there are parts of this that are going to have some parallels with Denver San Antonio in that Portland does not turn the ball over that much and they never force turnovers. So I think we'll see a lot of shots get up. I'm going to be fascinated in the defensive glass. You know, Portland has been, uh, they've been a great defensive rebounding team this year, but the biggest reason why isn't available in the series, and that's former Nugget Yusuf Nurkic. Whether Jokic and and Millsap, how hard they push, whether those guys can get those rebounds, I think will be really important. These are two, I think, of the best three offensive rebounding teams in the NBA going up against each other. Yeah, they were actually one and two in the regular season. 29.7% 29.7% and 29.6%. Ah, so my statement was technically correct, which is the best. The best part. kind of correct. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that I think the possession game, which you zeroed on, is is very interesting. Both the turnovers, is anybody going to force any turnovers at all? And then uh, the offensive rebounding, you know, I think I would give Denver the advantage in the rebounding wars uh, with Millsap and Jokic, Cantor, Collins, those are good offensive rebounders, but Cantor, again, he might be limited. We don't even know if he's going to play and if he does play, how if I I mean, it's kind of seems like one of those things that's trending towards he's going to get out there, he's going to get the injection, and then, you know, maybe he'll have some good games and maybe he'll have some bad and maybe, you know, he'll only play 20 minutes. And, and I think Stotts is going to have a little shorter leash uh, on Cantor if it looks like, you know, he's just not being as effective because of the injury. I want to see, though, what's going to happen with the Portland pick and roll. Clearly, Denver, their MO has been get Jokic higher out on the floor. If it's Plumley in particular, you know, get him out there too. I mean, this is going to be a big it's really a shame that Nurkic can't play but it'll be uh the Plumlee revenge game uh, Portland traded him away as their starting center and upgraded uh but these teams have traded quite a bit with each other over the years and so that'll be one and then Jokic too out on the floor Dame Lillard showed the ability to beat that coverage run it was Steven Adams 
Simmons in the first round I think Jokic they're going to try and make him be even more aggressive give it up but I'm not sure that Dame is going to fall for that as much I think you know and Portland has a lot of counters to that as well like they'll go and set a double screen but then have Dame try to split that that double screen and just come off the first screen and then when he can do that you've got the other big is also out of position and so he can get downhill they had a lot of nice counters to okc putting two on the ball in pick and roll and i think despite the fact that okc could have defended a little bit better i don't trust denver to defend as well as okc with their personnel and then denver gave up a ton of threes mike malone said after the game that hey we went from 30th to first in three-point defense well that's three-point percentage defense and a lot of that turns out to be pretty lucky in terms of the evidence is limited that teams can force teams to shoot a lower percentage from three it's more about just not giving them up to begin with and denver gave up quite a bit especially a lot of corner threes and you know you want to tell me boston or golden state can hold teams to a bad three-point shooting percentage all right i'll buy that because they have great athletes who are going to close out who are those guys on denver I, i'm not quite sure so i'm in, and there aren't we don't have multiple years of this in favor of denver so i happen to think it's luck i think they're going to give up a lot of threes and yeah uh, portland may not hit all of them you know they got harkless they got aminu but they also have a seth curry who can can drain them rodney hood um another thing i think we'll be watching very closely here is how much evan turner is going to play i think his role should really be minimized in this series they need to get more spacing there isn't really anyone on denver that you desperately need turner to guard as far as like a wing threat so that that's another thing that i, I think more curry more hood just outscore denver rather than turner who will allow denver to help out in the paint a lot for a series with two offensively capable teams i don't think there will be that much in transition but both Denver and Portland have done a really good job getting back this year. And so that will mitigate it. Now, even if you get back, both these teams have guys that can attack that. You know, you could see Jamal Murray and Gary Harris get up shots, Damon CJ, of course, as well. But I, I think that could be could be an interesting possibility here is that we it's a it's a high scoring half court game instead of it being this up and down, you know, Suns Nuggets, one of those games from from years and years ago. So much of this, too, is going to be about whether Jokic or Lillard plays better. And that very easily could decide the series. I think Lillard is better. It's easier to get him the ball, but Jokic certainly had quite the high usage rate against the Spurs and the Spurs at least have a little bit better one-on-one options I think to guard him than Portland does and I think the Spurs just overall have like a little bit more discipline and amazing as it is to say better guard defenders than Portland you know Damon CJ have gotten a lot better and CJ is pretty good at, at working off the ball but yeah that handoff game is going to be absolutely fascinating so much of this also is going to come down to which team's role players at the three and four positions are making shots Tory Craig Paul Millsap will Barton versus Hood Turner but I think we know the answer on him Aminu Harkless because I think for both of these teams they're just going to be have to help out so much against the primary action the primary scores that those guys are just going to have as many shots as they want and who makes them on these teams is going to go a long way towards determining the winner of the series another thing that could go a long way towards determining the series are the coaching decisions both tactical adjustments and personnel who plays when guys come out, when they come in. And I'll go into my prediction here. Even though I I respect some of the advantages that Denver has, part of why I'm picking Portland in this series is because for me, if it comes down to it, I think that I, I trust Terry Stotts more. I trust him more to make the adjustments to keep his best players on the floor. It's also easier to keep your best players on the floor when they are when they are smaller, just because they get into less. And I don't think of Damon CJ as being particularly troublesome in terms of fouls. And, you know, if 
that's Jokic, if that's Millsap or one of their perimeter players. For Denver, if that guy's out, they don't have this amazing group of replacements. They did in the regular season, but we're in a, we're in a new land now. And Monte Morris, how he defends, you know, if he has to, if his minutes overlap with Damon CJ, I, I'm really interested in that. He's had this wonderful season and, and maybe he just steps up. It's entirely possible that he does. But those sorts of things about, even though Portland's, you know, their history in the playoffs, they've had some really memorable series wins and most of their losses are to really, really good teams. But that's a whole lot more than this Denver team. It's a whole lot more than Mike Malone has had to deal with. And I thought, and it's oftentimes a warning sign for me when a team faces a tougher series against the team than I thought they should have. For example, Toronto with Washington. I think that was last year. That was that was kind of a canary in the coal mine for me. And I'm feeling some of those feelings about this Denver team. Yeah, uh, who Malone starts is going to be interesting. Are they going to stick with Craig? Is he going to go back to Barton? Is he going to go with those all-bench units as well, uh, where it's just one guy off the bench? Are we going to see two bigs together? Is he going to let Portland get away with playing, you know, like Collins and Myers Leonard together on the second unit? Is he really going to attack with some of the matchups that he can find against the, the Portland second unit? I'm very interested to see that. I'm going to go, though, with Denver in seven games. Well, basically just just because of home court <laughs> i think it's it, these teams are pretty similar to me statistically i am a little worried i think dame is the best player in this series but Jokic is not far behind him and this is going to be a series where Jokic is going to get spread out defensively he's going to have to cover a lot more ground that could tire him out as well which is a, a concern i'm really waffling here you know I, i'm considering portland in six as well and i never like when the teams are pretty even picking against the guy i consider to be the best in the series denver is going to be tired Portland has the rest advantage. Lillard is playing the best basketball of his career right now. But I just, and if Cantor were totally healthy, I might have gone the the other way. But I'm just really worried about Portland's ability to defend Denver. And I think Denver is going to do a better job at getting the ball out of Dame Lillard's hands than OKC did and forcing other guys to beat them. And and I'm just not quite sure that they can. So uh, I don't really have a strong opinion on this either way. So I just figure, like in Portland, OKC when I pick Portland I'm just going to go with the home court I'm not that impressed with the completeness of either of these teams but you know we'll see I, I'm very interested this is going to be our first chance to see Jokic really going against a real playoff level offense that can spread it out a little bit with a great pick and roll ball handler in Dame Lillard and it, certainly there are many doubts about Jokic's defense and if he can hold up in this now a lot of it's going to be him out on the floor you know this isn't going to be drop coverage he's stopping guys at the rim they they play this aggressive coverage to protect him so he's not put in that situation but at the very least maybe it'll be proven that his defensive limitations aren't as damaging as maybe we thought they would be and that they can scheme around those and it doesn't matter as much as i had posited we will definitely find out and that's it's going to be a a really interesting series to see who's going to get steamrolled in the west final i like that we have disagreed twice on series winners so far in the playoffs both series involve portland and each time one of us didn't you know like we split switch which way it was this isn't like one of us pushing portland both times or anything like that so and i'm for the record i'm picking blazers in seven i was really torn in seven in seven i was torn between six and seven but for me when a series is this close and i think both teams can win on the other's floor i don't think of this as like a oh no denver's unbeatable if this gets to a game seven i mean they could have lost they could have lost game seven had things been a little bit different in the spurs series and i think portland's a better better team but i i don't i just don't i don't feel confident enough in portland to pick them in six that's really what it came down to for me i i actually wrote it in the in the 
Google Sheet. I wrote both down and I saw which one made me feel better and worse and Blazers in seven. Yeah, that's... uh. Well, yeah, I think my Achilles heel is picking a sweep in these, and your Achilles heel is you pick the road team to win in seven too often. That's true. But also, it's you could call it a hedge where it's like, if at, at least then, I don't know. I, 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 it makes me feel better for whatever reason. I'm okay being yeah. ill. Yeah. Sometime the road team will win a game seven, and I will be very excited. And I've probably not predicted it. I'm trying to think. We both picked Cleveland to beat Boston last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I think I, I probably picked it in six. I'm guessing if, if I picked the road team. Um. All right, then this was fun. Don't forget about our sponsors today: Indochino and Everlane. Indochino use the cap space code. Get any suit for three hundred seventy nine dollars plus free shipping. And Everlane.com/slash cap space so get you free shipping on your first order with them we'll be back tomorrow night also don't forget about the nba cast i posted the schedule if you have bookmarked that google doc we'll tweet it out again periodically as well but the schedule for this week on monday we're going to do the end of toronto philly and then we'll do all of denver and portland always fun to do a game one and see how things are shaking out and then we'll have a break on the nba cast until thursday but then we'll be doing three days in a row thursday through saturday so stay tuned there and we'll see y'all tomorrow night at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply